You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good. <laughs> we were really... Oh, we were both... We were playing conversational chicken. We were, mm. and... I bailed. <laughs> That's what's happened. Oh, man. Uh, it's always interesting when you're not sure how the recording is going to start. I like letting it just... just just hang out there, float free. Yeah. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Me neither. That's great. Makes things fun. It does. You know? How you doing, though? Oh, I feel fine so far. Hey, that's a great start. It is a great start. Mm. And the day is not as early as it was, so... Even better? We're still making it along. By my standards? Yep. Getting there, so... Not, not too bad. I have a dentist appointment later. Ooh. Today? Just a cleaning, yeah. Okay. I get I get my teeth cleaned every year. I do that. That's responsible. But... Almost every year. Okay, I feel like Here's there's a something theory. Yeah, yeah okay. that I have uh-huh. about the dentist. Oh, and if there are any listening, I apologize if I'm somehow maligning <laughs> you or something. What an intro this is! So I've gone and gotten my teeth cleaned annually since I joined the military. Okay, um, I'm not in the military anymore, by the way. That makes it sound like I'm still in. But you had to have your teeth checked every year mm-hmm. and had to have a form signed off on all this fun stuff. So anyway. For the better part of the last almost decade, get them checked every year. And I am, I will confess, hit or miss with the flossing. Yeah. There are stretches where I make a good habit of it, and then Same. I just drop it entirely. I've slowly improved over the years, but it's nothing to write home about. Yeah. So, when I go in there, they clean my teeth and they mm-hmm. do the x-rays. Mm-hmm. And for example, two years ago, mm-hmm. went in for the cleaning, did all this stuff. I had not been good about my flossing prior to that cleaning. Went in, got the teeth cleaned, checked my dentist comes in, whom I very much like. He's awesome. Dr. Browning. Any of you know him? He's great. Glad we're going to name him and malign him. Yeah, I know. That's a good start. <laughs> well, that's just funny. At least you're going to get the appointment before this episode airs. Yeah, well, it's like, you know. So he said, ah, it looks like you've uh, kept up with the flossing. Oh, looks yeah. Looks good. Yeah, yeah. And then this last time, last year, I was flossing uh-huh. pretty regularly. Uh-huh. And he was like, eh, like, haven't been flossing, have you? Yeah. And I'm like... I'm just curious, like, are we just making things up here? Is this a, is this what this is? Or is it just based on the X? Like, wow, what are mm. we doing here, you know? That mm. is notably the only time that's happened. Every no. other time he's gotten it right on the money. No. But I'm going to corroborate this. <gasps> yeah, that's right. That's right. A couple of years ago, I went to the dentist and absolutely, I forgot floss existed. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes to check my teeth. Different dentist, by the way. Yeah. And he's like, uh, oh, you've been flossing. That's great. And I'm like, what is the word? <laughs> Definitely have not been flossing. I was. It was objectively incorrect. I'm like, wow, that is really quite amazing. And and this year, I have not been excellent in terms of frequent visits. But I'm I'm going in a couple months, and okay, yeah. I've I've been more conscientious. Which is not to say that I've been super rigorous every single day, sort of thing. But it's like more than I used to be, and uh, we're gonna put it to the test. Okay, we'll see. We're yeah. gonna see. We'll see. I will report back in Octoberish. Yeah, I will see because I have not been good about it this, <laughs> for this, this visit. So uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, so. I do think there's a conspiracy afoot. Yeah. Speaking of conspiracy, ah! brilliant. So I hope we're ready. Yeah. For another adventure into the strangeness of scripture. I was born ready. Yeah. Today we are going to briefly consider the mysterious episode in Genesis 6, Mm. 1 through 4. Those four verses. 
have baffled and puzzled scholars for millennia, but today we solve all the mysteries. Ooh, yes, I am so excited. Yes, yes. So, in case you are not immediately aware, I understand the obscure reference. Yes, we all know Genesis six twenty four. So here is the oh. enigmatic text itself. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, "My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh." His days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So there you have it. All kinds of strangeness going on there. So the question is, what are we to make I mean, of all of it? There's barely a line in that that isn't bizarre. Yeah. It's just full of it. It is. It really is. In the most conspiracy theorists like you can, you can spin all kinds of stuff out of this oh yeah out of this passage here and there are a lot of theories about this passage many solutions have been offered to try and solve this little exegetical puzzle but i want to suggest a solution that these days is not so widely taught even though it was probably the most widely held view in church history until the last couple centuries or so yeah, that, that definitely tracks yeah isn't that isn't that how it goes so before we get into that i would like to say in case anyone is wondering why are we talking about this weird arcane passage and what does this have to do with anything i think it will prove quite relevant to some of the issues we face today really the the nephilim i can't wait for the nephilim uh application point (laughs) um (laughs) like i i love all the arcane things that are like tucked away without much explanation but but applicable is usually not the word i'm ever thinking of Um, there are exceptions, right? I think there is something to be said about some of the events in Jude about the bones of Moses. I think that could tell us something about mm-hmm. our own vessels. Yeah. But how does this fit? That's a good question, isn't it? Ah. Yes, yes, yes. We're going, to, we're going to talk about that. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are talking about the living and abiding word of God, you mm-hmm. know? So mm-hmm. that means that even if its profitability is not immediately clear to us, all scripture is still profitable, Paul says. So even the seemingly arcane parts. Okay. Okay. Helpful, yeah. Checkmate, I concede. Checkmate! You got <laughs> me. Sunglasses drop down there, you know? So, I want to suggest that the sons of God who take the daughters of men in marriage are actually celestial beings. Mm, this is where the psycho music starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> angels! Yes, angels are creatures of that sort. That is what I'm suggesting. Now... To some of us, that might sound straight up unbiblical at first, depending on where you fall on the spectrum here. But I think that the scriptural witness actually confirms this view. And I mean, I, I hope I wouldn't just hold to this view fancifully because it sounded mm. mythological and awesome. Right. Um, I, I hold to it because I do think the Bible teaches it and backs it up. Okay. So I will be clear, though, on the other hand, that everything we're about to talk about is what theologians like to call theologumenon. <laughs> I call it that too. Yeah, it's a, just a fancy term that says this is a theological assertion. It's not dogma or doctrine that any Christian is required to believe. Okay, so it's not like, oh yeah, you have to believe this to be a Christian. But again, I do think it's well grounded theological assertion. I don't think it's you know this a pet theory that's yeah, just fun. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So. Basically, to sum it up, what happens in the Genesis 6, 1 through 4 episode is that some of the angels leave their proper place, which we'll encounter that language later in other passages. They leave their proper place by taking human women in marriage, and the result is that the women bear these giant half-breeds, for lack of a better term, and are called Nephilim. 
And what's also interesting about all of this is that this text immediately precedes the flood narrative. So in other words, it appears that the climactic wickedness that triggered God's judgment in a global flood was this, again, for lack of a better term, crossbreeding between two beings of a different essence. I kind of love how much this just sounds like a movie plot. It, I'm sure somewhere <laughs> along the way, you know, <laughs> someone's made something similar to that. But you're getting a sort of gross inversion of God's command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth because here there is multiplication happening, but it's not an appropriate kind. So it seems that this was the final violation and the last transgression of God's creation order that resulted in a cataclysmic deluge because you're kind of getting a cycle of that leading up to this. Yeah. Okay. However, I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm just going to play devil's advocate here. Love it. Yeah. I've, I used to have instinctively always shared this belief you're describing. Sure. Um, but I, I do want to test it. Um, yeah, absolutely. How do we clearly draw the connection between sons of God and celestial beings or angels, what have you? Because I don't, I don't necessarily want to rely, rely on instinct. Yeah, right. Um, that doesn't make for a brilliant exegesis. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. But I don't actually have a real alternative, nor have yeah. I actually, I haven't actually heard an alternative taught because this is kind of one of the things we just avoid anyway. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. What does that mean? Different ideas. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about it. Yeah. Which is also interesting, I think, because that you haven't been taught other theories, whereas most other people, I think in other camps, yeah. have been, that's like what... They grew up with other theories. Yeah, exactly. So that is interesting. So part of the reason I think we can confidently say biblically and exegetically that the sons of God are celestial beings is because a lot of other Old Testament references to the sons of God, when that term is used, I I believe the Hebrew is Bana Elohim, they clearly refer to celestial beings. So in the book of Job, just to take one example, you have the sons of God appear before the throne of heaven with Satan in their midst, no less, as the sons of God came and appeared, clearly referring to angelic beings. Like, they're the only ones in that capacity who are going to (laughs) be showing up in the throne room of heaven. And God also says the sons of God were there when he laid the cornerstone of creation and they shouted for joy. Oh, yeah, okay. They're the only ones who could be there for that. That's a really strong point. Yeah. For sure. So... If the bulk usage of the phrase sons of God refers in the Old Testament to angelic beings, I think it actually goes the other way around. You have to make a really compelling exegetical case that in Genesis 6, the sons of God doesn't refer to celestial beings because the rest of the scripture in the Old Testament seems to refer them that way. The burden of proof is on you to say they aren't celestial beings, especially because you're going to deal with four verses yeah. and they really, it's not descriptive. Right. Like, so you really do have to kind of piece this puzzle together from other scripture. You know, you have to let scripture interpret scripture here. And so I think if you're taking the Old Testament in general as your rule, you have to actually be the one to say, okay, there has to be compelling exegetical evidence that says the sons of God aren't celestial beings. So I would argue that way to answer your question. Sure. But furthermore, it's not just an Old Testament thing. The New Testament also seems to make the case for celestial beings in the Genesis 6 event. Okay, okay. So again, take one example, Jude 6 through 7. Of course it's Jude. Yeah, it's of Jude. course. Uh, here's what we read. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, here's the key. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Okay, 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 okay. So, I can't believe I'm saying this. I've never even thought too carefully about about the first part of that, mm-hmm. the, like the first line of that, until hearing what you suggested about angels leaving their position. Mm-hmm. I think all of my focus goes to the fantastical repercussions of eternal chains. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, whoa, like, that's the gloomy thing. Gloomy chains of that's eternal darkness. Like, yes, all the mythology imagery. That's it's really like whew, galvanizing that. Yeah. But I think I always assumed somehow that this must be referring to the angels that rebelled in some way, mm-hmm. which I realize as some plot holes. <laughs> Um, if you want to like maintain a uh, you know fallen angel demon connection, which is probably complicated in and of itself, then Jude further complicates that. That yeah. verse further complicates that because how could so- how could something be eternally restrained and then have influence in the waking world mm-hmm. throughout Scripture and beyond? Like I'd imagine you can't be bound in darkness and then also beg not to be sent into the abyss, right? Or rather, into swine. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Jude six is either not talking about those initial fallen angels, or there's like some lax security measures <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the abyss, like... <laughs> which I find less probable. Yeah, like you know, those angels are like these eternal chains of gloomy darkness are really light. Like we can still get out. <laughs> like, and... Oh god, oh god, go to the pigs, go to the pigs. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, so to your point, it seems that there is a difference between the demons who are still free versus yeah. these particular fallen angels who committed a particular sin in Genesis yeah, 6. right. And textually speaking here, the word likewise appears to link the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was sexual immorality and the pursuit of unnatural desire, and I think that's a pursuit of unnatural desire, to the sin of the angels, which is to say, okay, if you're taking all this together, the angels in Genesis 6 were also guilty of sexual immorality and the pursuit of unnatural desire, okay, because it's like okay. you've got like celestial beings doing something that's forbidden for them to do, which actually brings me to sometimes people object to this view on the grounds of Christ saying, well, he said the angels don't marry, nor are they given in marriage in the Gospels. When he's talking about the resurrection, mm. he says, no, when, when you're resurrected, you'll be like the angels in heaven who neither marry I nor see. are given in marriage. Okay. So Not like, necessarily oh, the strongest argument I've ever heard. Right, because the thing is, is he doesn't say like they're somehow incapable of doing yeah. something like these guys did. He just says, oh, they don't marry, yeah. nor are they given, yeah. which I think indicates to me, oh, they kept their proper place. Yeah. These ones did not. So the point that Jude, I think, is drawing out here is that terrible lines were crossed, or in the case of Southern Gordon, they were almost crossed. And the result of the transgression was immediate judgment. Okay. So. I think, because, um, yeah, why even bring that up otherwise? Right. It would be totally random and, like, out of place point of history to draw up. Yeah. And, and I think, furthermore, Jude describes these two events as an example to learn from or be aware of. Yeah. Like, as an example to look to, mm-hmm. which potentially, I think, maybe offers more connective tissue to the Luke 8 exorcism. Yeah. Because Legion well knew about being sent to the abyss. He did. It was a known thing and repeatedly begged not to be sent there. Yes. So, this was familiar... Mm. In the historical context of yeah. the spiritual realm. Yeah. And uh, if you really, really want to get zany, we don't have time to go down this rabbit hole, but that obscure passage in First Peter 3, where it says Christ in the spirit went and proclaimed yeah. to the uh, the spirits in prison, his patience waited in the day of Noah, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the traditional teaching was that he, and we talked about this in our Harrowing of Hell episode, I think, yes, but that yeah. he, of course, went... When he died, his spirit went to the realm of the dead, and uh, of course he, for lack of a better term, liberated the saints who were in Abraham's bosom and proclaimed victory over the damned and the fallen angels who were in the abyss. He said, you know, well, to use Christ's own language in Revelation, I have taken the keys of death and Hades. So he, uh, he did that. So really amazing stuff. So all that being said, so what? Right? I mean, it's again, to come back to this, like, okay, like, this is like, it's, you know, okay, it's kind of zany, it's arcane. Well, what? What about it? What, what, way, what difference? What way is this profitable? Yeah. And um, here are just two things I think that this incident can teach us and that can make a, a difference, even right now, hopefully. First, on the positive side, 
I think it shows us that we do live in an enchanted supernatural world. Like, mm. if you're going to take the Bible seriously. Mm-hmm. I can't say when people have a demythologized view of Scripture and the world, yeah. where huh. it's, it's all just natural, as if there isn't more going on than we can see. Right. There is a certain wonder that stuff like this reawakens in me when I think about, oh, there are these angelic beings and this stuff happened and Christ went and proclaimed to them victory. You know, he descended to the realm of the dead. Right. Because you think about the stories and the myths, for example, that have like so resonated with us. Like Uh to this day, they were like, wow, that's amazing. That just sounds so enchanting and enchanted. Again, I, I mentioned this pretty frequently, but like guys like Tolkien made the point that, well, the reason those speak to us is because they're echoes of the true story. Like that, you know, Christ is the hero who descended. He like, that's the whole story of Christ is a story of descent. He descends from heaven to the incarnation. He descends into the waters of baptism. He descends to the realm of the dead, which by the way, uh, one of the common images in scripture and in the ancient world for the realm of the dead was the sea, uh, to go to the heart of the sea. Really? So yeah, so you, I just was learning about this recently where you have Christ descending to the waters of the womb. You have him descending through the waters of baptism, baptism. and then you have him descending to the waters, the heart of the sea of the dead. Wow. Um, and he makes that reference in Jonah. He, he says, I'll be like Jonah in the heart of the sea. Oh, that's right. But that's also like a common arc in the stories of ancient myths and stuff like that. You have these descents. Yeah. So anyway, it's we live in this wonderful enchanted world and there's this supernatural side of our faith that I don't think we talk about very often that really, I think, can awaken the childlike, mm-hmm. not in the bad way, but like this like sense of wonder yeah. and awe. I mean, Christ um, speaks enough about that, that it's like, maybe it's important. Maybe yeah. the childlike faith and wonder is important. Yeah, it is. And I think it also helps us not to presume that like we, I think we still, even Christians come to this place where we think, we can explain everything. You know what I mean? Like, we, you know, it's all like, it's it's natural, it's empirical, we can explain it. Like, there's more going on than you can see and that you can fully understand. Like, Jude again, the thing with Satan and Michael disputing over the body of Moses? Why? Like, what, what is it about the body that is so important, even in death, that they are disputing over the body? Um, so you got all this just wonder awakening stuff. And I think this whole incident can awaken some of that for us. Yeah. On the negative side, <laughs> oh, okay. I do think this is a cautionary tale. Again, like Jude was making the point, we really do need to be aware of crossing God's set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could have led with that one. You could <laughs> could have started there. <laughs> oh yeah. Wouldn't that have been more fun? <laughs> um, you know, in this case, you have like the mixing of essences, which results in this terrible decree of judgment. But in the broader sense, okay, God doesn't set boundaries just for the heck of it or to ruin our fun. I think if we're not careful, you know, we cross boundaries and we're doing things that we know not fully what we do or what we're getting into here. And I find it interesting just as a sort of, quote unquote, modern day example, if you consider the Nazis, <laughs> um, their quote unquote scientific research. Oh my word. I'm not as read up on this, but like, it seems like they started like really crossing into a cultish territory. Oh, and oh f- fully, fully, for sure. There were like whole, like for lack of a better term, divisions completely dedicated to like a cult study. There were like specific key figures that super into it. Really like, and I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that that's literally just the tip of the iceberg of how messed up things were. <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty intense. It was like, I mean, in 
and I'm sure this is like not exclusive to them of all people, but in yeah. this kind of pursuit of of power and control and superiority, um, reaching into <laughs> things that I would not want to yeah. not want to dabble. Right. And you think, I mean, the things that they were doing, you know, I think again, that's another case where we would kinda wanna like demythologize and say, like, oh yeah, like I mean the Nazis were evil and but they were apparently trying to tap into things that were even Oh yeah, nothing was off limits. Yeah, and that's frightening. I mean and, yeah, I think weirdly enough it would be it would a thing would be apt to say there was like nothing was off limits to to the meddling of things both body and spirit. Yeah, and I th- I think we would tend to think, oh, that's just a bunch of hocus pocus. But like, no, like you don't want to be doing that. Like when you cross those boundaries, you start, you start dealing with like, again, not, not in a way that we need to be freaked out by, but like, you are dealing with powers that you, you can't control. The, you know? I think it was GK Chesterton who talked about, um, ancient civilizations making bargains with demons yeah. and demons delivering on a promise up to a degree but then like <laughs> no like now those demons are just gonna oh yeah it's almost as if any myth or legend in any discipline could tip you off to that yeah like, it's amazing don't mess with those things how, how arrogant do we have to be to think we're at the top of the pyramid at all times yeah and i think part of their you know i mean they were very of course bent on the you know of the aryan race as like right. the and then I, you have them talking about, like, the Superman. You know, it was a very... Ubermensch. Yeah, the Ubermensch. That's exactly mm. right. So it's funny. When you start talking about that kind of thing in particular, thing, you're dealing with almost exactly what was going on in Genesis 6. You have this creation of this oh. Ubermensch kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, especially by the way they're described at yeah. the end of those verses. Men of Reound, the Nephilim, the giants. So, yeah, That's like, you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> and, uh, Again, to broaden that out a little bit, like when God sets a boundary, he's not trying to, you know, ruin your fun. Like he he knows better than we do. And there are forces at work that you don't want to be getting in with. You know what I mean? It reminds me to close us out here of the not really often talked about incident in Acts with the sons of Sceva. So the sons of Sceva, sons of a priest, they were trying to exercise a demon. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And... You know, thinking, oh, yeah, we can do this. And they tried to cast him out in the name of Jesus. And uh, the the man with the demon looks, I can just imagine, like, the horror movie scene that you could build out of this. Oh, like, yes. You know, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And this boy, like, beats the tar out of these seven full-grown men. And I was going to say, he's like, again, now I mean, that's people the are gonna turning walk point this. right there. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> then people are going to walk out of here and be freaked out. You know what I mean? Don't, you don't have anything to be afraid of. But, like, the point is, like, you don't, don't be, there, don't go crossing God's boundaries. <laughs> like, when he says, don't be messing with this stuff, just don't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's it. Fair so, point. It's even actually kind of just pragmatic. You yeah, know? it is. Like, <laughs> do you want to get beat up by, you know, don't uh, do that. So, anyway, the Nephilim, Genesis 6. Wowie. There we have it. So, found this topic interesting. Oh, I <laughs> do. you want to spin off a, a theory of your own, maybe don't. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, if you want to leave us an honest five-star review in the iTunes store, or if you have any questions on this or any other topic, want to dig into it more, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net, or you can interact with us on social media. But as always, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.